This podcast is brought to you by the Afterlife Conference that is going to be held in Orlando, Florida, November 1st through the 4th. We are also going to be live streaming this event, and this event is going to explore the world beyond death through instructional presentations, experiential workshops, and group processes that include hands-on instruction for out-of-body journeying, readings with mediums and intuitives, bereavement support, past life regression, sacred ceremonies and rituals, academic research and scientific investigation, multicultural perspective on death and beyond, and talking to children about death. Some of the keynote speakers that they have at this conference this year is going to be psychic medium Thomas John, mystic scholar and theologian Andrew Harvey, the Monroe Institute's William Buhlman, Terry Daniel, who is the founder of the conference, Monica Williams, M.D., Medium and intuitive counselor Susan Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, who is also a medium, and shamanic practitioner Linda Fitch. So if you guys would like to attend in person, head on over to their website, which is afterlifeconference.com. They still have tickets available. And if you are unable to travel, you can watch this in the comfort of your own home or at your office by purchasing the live stream ticket. And our live stream ticket right now has an early bird pricing of only $99. And this sale is going to end on September 6th. So we decided to extend the early bird special through Labor Day weekend for those of you who are still traveling and having fun in your summer. Um, And that will end on September 6th. And then the price goes up to $129. And the day of on November 1st, if you forget to purchase a ticket, you will be paying $149. So I highly recommend to head on over to path11productions.com slash AC 2018 and purchase your live stream ticket today. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. We have a great show today, a topic that I really love to talk about, love and relationships. And you might actually be curious about why I'm bringing this type of topic onto our podcast, but I truly believe that our encounters with people that we love tend to be the things that really facilitate and evolve our consciousness very quickly. It is our intimate relationships that really helps us grow, challenges our soul, brings things to the forefront that maybe we don't want to take a look at. So I am pretty excited to introduce you to Charlie and Linda Bloom. They have been married since 1972 and have been working with groups, individuals, couples, and organizations to enhance the quality of their relationships and communication skills since 1975. They both have master's degree in clinical social work and have lectured, led seminars, and provided consultation at universities and learning institutes throughout the United States as well as internationally. They have written and published three books, and the book that we are going Going to speak about today is uh, the book that they wrote entitled That Which Doesn't Kill Us, How One Couple Became Stronger in the Broken Places. So welcome, Charlie and Linda, to the Path 11 podcast. I'm delighted to be mm. here with you. Thank you for inviting us. Yes, right. you're welcome. So where to begin? Um, I, well, first, I would just like to really uh, let you know how much I really appreciated the vulnerability in your story when in the book that I had read that which doesn't kill us. Um, 
you know, I just felt like I was really looking in on such an intimate marriage and relationship of two people that have been married for a very long time. Um, also having done couples therapy in my own private practice, I feel like you guys hit upon all of the different things that so many couples go through between intimacy issues, um, you know, having children, feeling frustrated with work and the roles that we play. And it really was uh, a very beautiful book. Uh, just felt like you guys ripped both of your hearts wide open and put yourselves out there. So I wanted to thank you for that. You're very welcome. Um, I'm glad you appreciated it. was a real risky thing to put out there in front of the public, but I'm glad we did it. <laughs> Yeah, so maybe you can let our listeners know a little bit about your own personal story, um, you know, which motivated obviously for you guys to write that book, and then how you've come to actually help couples through, you know, learning what you've learned through your own marriage. Well, um, that's exactly right, um, April. We we do teach what we have learned through our own experiences. We've. We've been together now for <clears throat> almost, it'll be 50 years in uh, September. So, you know, we've paid some dues along the way, um, as do all couples. And, uh, you know, m many people don't realize that because just because you're doing couples therapy or you're a therapist, that um, you don't have to deal with challenges, too. <clears throat> um, and, you know, a lot of people in, in our field tend to be quite reluctant about revealing aspects of their personal relationships but but we felt that um, because we teach um, really about authenticity and transparency and openness and vulnerability that if um, if we were going to write a book about our relationship our <clears throat> previous three books were, were self-help books that included some but not a lot of information about our relationship uh, but if we were going to teach that and write about it we would uh, really have to um, be an example of what we were talking about. And we realized that we, we couldn't just speak abstractly or, um, you know, speak in a way that presented us as um, being the experts. And, you know, if you read the book, which I know you did, you realize that we, we, don't, we don't come across as experts. Um, uh, in, in particularly in the first part of the book. So um, uh, we, we just felt, <clears throat> having, having been through these crises and ordeals that we write about in, in the 10-year period of time that we covered in the book, that we, we really wanted to reveal not only what was going on, what we were doing, what we were saying, but we wanted to express our inner experience. We, we wanted to give people an understanding of what we were personally thinking and feeling and going through that was causing us to do and say the things that we were doing. And the feedback that we've gotten from so many of the people who've read the book is that they can really identify with this, that they, 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 they really um, have had those same thoughts, those same feelings. And one of the things that the book seems to be giving people is a sense that they're not alone. And that's what we wanted them to see, <clears throat> that they're not alone. And also that you can be in some very, very profoundly difficult situations and still not only come through it, but like the subtitle of the book says, you can become stronger even 
at those broken places. Yeah, I would agree with everything that you just said. I mean, your story was was really raw and really put out there. And I think that's probably why you're getting the feedback that you're getting, because people are seeing you also as human beings. You know, I like what you said earlier, too. It's almost like sometimes when we're we're in this role of the therapist, that clients or people who are seeing us from the outside kind of forget that we're human beings, too. And we're we're walking on Earth and we're living you know, the same type of challenges that everybody else is. It doesn't necessarily make us complete experts, but um, I know there was a portion in the book where you had said to your wife, we don't necessarily have to be experts, but we just have to be a couple of steps ahead of the people that we're teaching. <laughs> and that's been my motto all along. I'm like, I probably have walked the path and I'm a little further down it than you yes. are, but I could lead you, you know, uh, at least up to the point where I have come from. So yes, I, I appreciate that very much. Um, so Linda, what, what do you have to say about, about this from your perspective? Well, when we originally were writing, it was just to journal, to understand what happened to us. We were so lost and confused. Why were we fighting so much? We made so many mistakes. We were so confused and we were trying to make sense of what what we had gone through and we started to figure some things out and we were teaching classes at the time about relationship and the more we revealed our personal story and didn't just do you know the didactic teachy part but we we illustrated with things we had gone through telling before and after stories, the more our students were sitting up and paying attention. They really loved that transparency. They loved that rawness and they loved that vulnerability. So in a way, we, we tried out some of the things that we were discovering while we were writing that um, was going into our workshops. And then we said, you know, we really ought to have a wider audience for this because it seems to be so incredibly useful just normalizing that if you're in relationship long enough, it's going to flush up any unfinished business that you've got from your family of origin. Any sore places are going to be revealed and any adult traumas that you've gone through in prior relationships or in the relationship that you're in at the time that the deeper the commitment and the more you're invested in the relationship, the more it's going to surface to be dealt with. And you can't stop those things from coming up. They are going to present themselves. We do have a choice about how we relate to them, whether we go into denial or whether we try to, you know, do the home improvement plan and make our partner into the partner that we're visioning or whether we really show up and pay attention with some kind of curiosity and wonder about who are you? And what is it that you're bringing out in me? And how might I bring out the best in you rather than us bringing out the worst in each other because we're so frightened? And so as we kept writing and we would do uh, a better version to be able to present, do you know, out into the world, we just learned so much that was useful to us personally. And as soon as we would get a grip on it, then we would offer it to our readership and our students and clients. 
Yeah, I think the nice thing about your story, you know, as as a reader and, you know, kind of going through, you know, your marriage as we're reading your book, you know, that question comes up of, well, gosh, how long do people stay? Like, do they stay or do they go? Do they just, you know, find a point where they say, okay, enough is enough. Let's go our separate ways. But in your story, you really see how you guys were brought in brought to very low lows and then would kind of come back together and almost get like ripped apart again and then come back together. But there was this true resiliency. And then it's almost like you guys stuck it out in the toughest points and then you come out the other end and here you guys are and you're still together where people might in the beginning as they're reading your book say, yeah, there's no way. (laughs) There's no way this is going to last. And I also, you know, there was a part of me that also contemplated too, is there, is this also a generational thing? Because I feel like the generations now growing up, um, you know, we know that the divorce rate is very high. Um, It just seems like when people can't tolerate stuff in a relationship, they are quick to just say, okay, well, it's over. I've learned what I needed to learn and I'm going to move on and I'll move on to the next relationship and I'll go through stuff there. But then if I don't like that, I'll move on. But I really saw this commitment for the both of you to kind of want to stay in it and work it out. So what do you think that's about? Well, I think you're raising an incredibly important question here um, that brings into play the cultural influence um, on all of us and on couples. We wrote this book. Um, this book covers a period of time between 1982 and 1992, which is literally a generation ago. And, and I'm absolutely in agreement with you that I think the values and the consciousness about commitment, not just in relationships, but in general, is very different than it was a generation ago. That, that there's more of um, a disposable consciousness when it comes to things and relationships. And um, I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know if I was going through something like that now, given the cultural influence about if it ain't working, get rid of it and replace it with another one. I don't really know whether or not I would um, have hung in there, which is not to say that that it it was a mistake to hang in there. I'm I'm glad we did. And, and, I do believe, though, that many people are much too quick to push the um, the release button when it comes to wanting to get out of a difficult situation, and and they don't realize that um, practically without exception, and I mean about ninety nine percent of the time, couples go through difficulties. We have met some couples who have been together a long time, and they've just had a a very smooth, um, easy relationship. It's rare. It's very rare. And, you know, I'm I'm not even so sure that it's better, but I know that it's possible. But for most of us, it isn't. And if we don't really understand that, when the inevitable crises occur, we're likely to make the mistake of concluding that it's because there's something wrong here. This shouldn't be happening. You know, it, it, there's something wrong with her. There's something wrong with me. There's there's something wrong with us being together. And that's that can be true. There are absolutely mismatches. And we don't always encourage people under all circumstances to, uh, to stay together, although we never discourage people from trying to work it out. 
because we've seen too many situations where where people are in relationships where it looks very, very unlikely that this is going to happen. And somehow, miraculously, it turns around. So who are we to say, particularly when, like you say, we've been through some horrendous ordeals and we've not only survived them, but our relationship now is, is uh, just indescribably stronger than it was during those 10 years. Right. And do you find that you guys are working, um, you know, with the workshops that you provide for people? Do you have some of the younger generation coming to you? Or are you primarily seeing people who have been married for quite a long time and are coming in? It's a whole range. We have people who are thinking of getting engaged or they're planning to get married, haven't set the date yet, all the way up to people who have been together as long as we have, which is going to be 50 years in September. I want to just interrupt Linda for one second, uh, a little vignette. We taught a workshop in Canada a, a couple of months ago, and we had, uh, it was a big workshop with a lot of couples. There were th three generations of the same family in there. Three sets of couples from the same grandparents, parents, and the first generation, the last generation. So yeah, it's a whole range. So what we find is that it's uh, really important for the young couples to see couple that's been together for a long time, who still has a lot of aliveness, who feel, you know, vibrant, and their relationship hasn't become ho-hum and hasn't been hampered down by the commitment to security, you know, and predictability, that there still is a sense of adventure and novelty. And that seems to mean a lot to the young couples, because I, I remember being being a young couple myself and wishing that I could see a uh, example of a couple that was older, that was still vibrant and alive and keeping romance going. And so I think it's essential and important for the young couples to know that not only is that possible, but it doesn't happen by itself. You have to be proactive about being on your own growing edge, to embrace personal growth as a value in your life, to use what the relationship tosses up as an opportunity to learn about yourself and learn about what works in relationship and what doesn't, and to become more tolerant, to become more allowing, to become more uh, courageous and adept in negotiating for your needs so that you can work up to having a co-creative partnership that really works for both people. Yeah. And, and I also got that message too in reading the book. You know, it almost seems like it wasn't until you both kind of got balanced within yourselves and not relying on the other to fulfill the other person's needs that the relationship came into a better balance. It's almost like Linda, you want went on your own path and self exploration and Charlie, you went through yours as well and kind of being stripped of the ego and going through that really tough depression. And then you both finding your own strength within yourselves and then coming back together. That, I, th I thought that was the beautiful part of the story. And, well, uh, uh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, well, I, and I just wanted to lead into uh, the next question, but definitely, Charlie, feel free to comment. But I wanted to talk a little bit about how, uh, Linda, how you 
you know, found meditation through this non-attachment. Um, you know, you were studying some stuff with, uh, Han, if I pronounced his name correctly in Buddhism. And it seemed like that you went into a place of spirituality too, for yourself to go into those realms to help you, um, through the marriage. Well, I was just out of things to try. You know, I had done everything. I had pleaded with him, please leave that job. It's ruining our family. It's damaging our relationship as a couple. I pleaded with him. I made threats. I had, you know, tried to be quiet and suffer in silence. And nothing that I tried was working. We were stuck in gridlock that I wanted him to leave this you know, very, very demanding job where he was on the road a lot. And he was just as committed um, to keeping the job because they, he loved the job. And so, you know, we stayed in these two different camps. And I said, oh, Lord, I've just got to find some way to make a bigger space for this because I'm, I'm making myself, you know, miserable here. And when I started to do mindfulness practice, I learned how to calm myself down. You know, I'm a highly sensitive a person who would feel everything so deeply and my anxiety and my fear that we were going to break up and my feeling helpless to do anything about being able to change the situation. Um, I was, I was challenged to just be with what is and loosen my white knuckle grip on the vision that I held of what the family life had to look like and what our marriage had to look like and just keep making these deep breaths over and over and over. And one of the meditative practices that I learned from Stephen and Andrea Levine was forgiveness meditation to forgive Charlie for not being you know, partner charming and forgive myself for not being mother charming. And that was even harder just to allow what was to be there and to be in don't know mind. The Buddhists call it don't know mind. And that was really hard for me because I had gotten as far in life by being intentional and committed and working hard towards something. And this was a whole different skill set to let go and to let be. And it serves me, you know, it's a really important thing to know uh, how to do. We all have our strengths and we have our weak suits. But I'll tell you, if I hadn't been in a crisis like this, I would not have been motivated to learn those skills. I would have avoided it at all costs. But as long as I was having a crisis, and I always say this when we teach class, I think crises are underrated. If you're in a crisis, at least see, you know, what can be learned there that can enhance your life. <laughs> exactly. And Charlie, for you, um, you know, my interpretation of some of your spiritual growth was really um, like a dismantling and stripping of the ego. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, um, that that's putting it mildly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it was humbling. Um, let's put it that way. And um, it was strong medicine, but it was the medicine that I needed. And although it was not fun going through that period of time when I was <clears throat> brought to my knees, um, literally and figuratively, um, I, I, uh, I value that so much. And I'm at, it's easy for me to say it at this point, but I am deeply grateful for having been given 
the gift of, of uh, humility because it's opened my life up in ways that the path I was on before was only narrowing it. Um, and so my capacity to experience life more fully, more richly, more deeply, more open-heartedly, more passionately, all that has changed. It's not just my relationship with Linda that's changed, but it's my capacity to experience life fully. Yeah. And, um, and, and that capacity, um, we, we, we look at people who are aging, uh, which is pretty much all of us. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> we look at people you know, who are getting older and uh, we, we think, well, it sort of looks like the way it works is uh, you just kind of uh, get slower and quieter and, you know, less feeling and, and things just kind of uh, diminish. And, and my experience and Linda's experience has been the opposite, that as we grow individually and together, our mutual experience of our relationship as well as our individual experience of our own lives um, has greatly been enhanced. Mm -hmm. and you want to say something about that, Linda? Well, I just... I'm just feeling like I have so much more confidence than I had before. I feel like I have so much energy to be able to make a contribution because I'm not preoccupied with the shape of my relationship that I feel like I can really count on it with you. So this is harvest time. And I just am grateful that we didn't bail out because we just were, we dangled on the edge of that cliff and it looked like we were probably going to go over <laughs> the way of the separation and divorce statistics. And it was just a hair away of giving up. And I'm glad that I worked out my commitment muscles and I'm glad that I learned how to be resilient. And I'm grateful for all the lessons about letting go and forgiveness and tolerance and acceptance that I was forced to learn during that time, because I feel like it's serving me so well now. And, and as I'm aging, I feel like um, my life has a lot of meaning because I feel like I have something of such essential uh, benefit when you when you opened up the remarks, April. You said something about how it's a quick track. Do you know about going to the heightened way of being that relationships help us to evolve quickly? And we say that in our class that it's the fast track towards enlightenment because. If you're in a committed partnership, it's going to flush up everything that you need to see and acknowledge in yourself. And, you know, that is not necessarily an easy practice, but so rewarding and beneficial if you really open to the lessons that are coming up. Right. Yeah. And I do agree with that. And, you know, when we have interviewed people um, in the past on this show about soul contracts and past lives and things like that, I mean, you know, relationships to me is where it's at for that evolution, you know, of consciousness. It's kind of like, how do we evolve without that, without the challenges, without people reflecting back to us? Yeah. Well, well, it, it's been said uh, by uh, some wise people that you can learn more about 
yourself, and of course, as we all know, self-understanding and self-knowledge and self-acceptance are key aspects to any fulfilling life um, and to every spiritual practice. Um, but you can learn more about yourself in a week in a committed partnership than you can in a year meditating alone in a cave. And I believe that's true because I've done both, not not literally a year in a cave, but um, I'm not diminishing the value of meditation. I think it's very valuable. But there are aspects of yourself that do not show up when you're sitting in uh, in meditation that will absolutely hit you right between the eyes when you're in a committed partnership. And you get to deal with it. <laughs> right. I would agree. Now, do you guys have, um, you know, people with a clinical background read your story and say, well, you know, this this kind of relationship almost sounds like the codependent and the narcissist coming together, but then evolving and healing both of their wounding and blossoming? Because that's a little bit of, you know, if we had to give these diagnoses or, you know, kind of put put it in a box to understand it in what mental health kind of does with these uh, these clinical descriptions. Um, it made me think a little bit about um, a person, uh, his name is Ross Rosenberg, I believe, and he wrote a book called The Human Magnet, and it was about these two personalities kind of coming together, but it's such a strong relationship um, with, these, with these personalities. And I was wondering what you thought about that, and do people give that feedback or assume that that's a little bit of the background of what you guys were working through? It is definitely what we were working through. And if you have people who are in the field of psychology, they see the pathology that was active at the time. And I was definitely a flaming codependent, and there were certainly narcissistic characteristics in Charlie, some inflation on his part and deflation on my part. And we had a chance to play that out in living color. I have a, a difficulty with the diagnostic terms that are so pathological. Yes. When I talk about them in class, I speak about the freedom fighter and the connector. So the connector, you know, has some elevation and some beauty. They're the stand for the relationship and the togetherness and emotional intimacy and sharing, do you know, and revealing your inner life to each other, sharing on a feeling level, sharing your visions of what you want your life to be. And the freedom fighter, which Charlie cornered the market on that area for some years when he was on the road doing his career building for more than five years, um, we polarized that he was so uh, hell-bent on his freedom and doing his own individual growth experience. And so I got flung out to the other end of the pole, being the stand for the relationship. And it isn't good for partnerships to be way at the poles like that. When we started to heal our relationship more, I could appreciate and understand the freedom that was driving Charlie and not pathologize it so much. Realize that his being away forced me to own my own strengths to make decisions without him to talk them over with. And I 
believe that he learned the value of togetherness by being away from the family so much. So it's when we came more towards center and got away from the polarity and were able to learn from each other that the relationship really started to be better. Yes. Yeah, that, that's, that's what I was kind of witnessing the unfolding of throughout the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, um, we see um, codependence or what's referred to as codependence, um, which does have, you know, a, a connotation of pathology um, as an, uh, a natural and almost inevitable aspect of any good relationship. It's a stage. And uh, the problem is not that people have that experience of um, really merging with each other. Um, The problem is that they don't move through that and um, are able to access that at will and disengage from that way of being at will also. And it, it becomes kind of an involuntary response, a knee jerk reaction, if you don't do what you had mentioned earlier, which is to find the wholeness that you experience with your partner within yourself, that you use that relationship as a way of illuminating what it is within me that needs to be more fully developed through my experience with this person, and then do that work so that I feel more whole and more complete within myself. It's not that I don't have any needs for a relationship. It's not that I don't want it. But when I get to that point, I don't need it. My survival doesn't require it. My well-being doesn't depend upon merging with this person. And by the same token, the opposite of codependence is counterdependence, which is what I was doing, trying to prove that I didn't need anybody, which is just, just another form of dependence. Um, or another symptom of, of dependence. So, so it's it's not something to be necessarily pathologized or avoided, but it is something to learn from and and to see what is it that I'm getting in this relationship that um, I really feel is fulfilling a need. What's the need that's being met, and how can I do this more within myself rather than having to vicariously get it through this other person. And it's become one of the core teachings of our workshops because we believe that opposites attract. We tend to refer to it as complements attract and some very deep, wise, natural knowing in us unconsciously draws us to a person who's strong in areas that we want to grow into those areas. And so if we can open to what we're together to learn from each other, from each other's signature strengths, that's a very good deal. It's a very good partnership because those are the things that did attract us us sometimes unconsciously to each other. And when we leave the infatuation stage and move into the disillusionment stage, the very things that attracted us can drive us a little nuts and aggravate us about the other person and become a source of conflict in the relationship. But if we can hold that... um, life view that this person is in my life to teach me some very important life lessons. What are those? What is my work? That's a a cornerstone of the work that we do in our classes. 
And what's the maintenance at this point? You know, it sounds like that you guys have come to this, you know, complete revelation and understanding uh, and healing process. But how do you both maintain yourselves individually now? You know, what are your own spiritual practices or how do you keep taking care of yourself while maintaining the relationship that you're in at this level? And that's a question for both of you. Yeah, well, I feel that it's really essential in my life to have other close relationships. Um, I feel like I have pretty close relationships with my son and my daughter, and I'm in two different women's groups. And having, I'm, I'm a big time connector, do you know, and I'm really extroverted and I really feel that the most exalted moments in my life or when I'm having meaningful conversations and, and engaging activities with other people. Um, and so that's my bliss. And my need for that is so big that it's too much to ask of one person. I would just wear Charlie out. He's much more introverted than I, so he can't he can't stay in those kind of intense conversations for the amount of hours a week that I enjoy them. And so I spread it around. I've made a career out of intimate relating, and I have a friendship network that really supports me. And I feel that that is really foundational for my well-being. Um, as for me, um, yeah, I'm on the other side of that equation. My tendency, like Linda says, is um, because I'm introverted, I, I tend to, under stress, I, I tend to want to go within myself. I tend to want to self-reflect rather than to try to work things out interpersonally. So you can imagine um, um, how interesting <laughs> it gets between us when we both are activated at the same time and we, we both are under stress and I'm coming, um, Linda's coming to me for more connection, and that's the last thing that I want. Um, and this dynamic we've found over the years is one that is common to many, many couples, that there's a polarity. Um, and we've learned to, you know, to, to work that out by respecting the differences and not making the other person wrong for being the way they are. Um, for years, you know, we we would pathologize each other, and I would call Linda needy and, and you know uh, <laughs> codependent, and you know she would call me so. You're some, cold and shut down. Yeah. Um, well, why did you even get married? You know, and uh, we, we we finally got to the point where we realized we we need each other. We need the influence that each other is bringing. Linda needs to learn more about how to find peace within herself, how to find um, a sense of appreciation and gratitude for solitude, to be able to learn the difference between solitude and isolation. And, mm -hmm. and I had to learn more about the, the value of deep connection and vulnerability and openness. And, and we've done that. We have, you know, we are continuing to do that and, and learning how to integrate those aspects of the other person into our life without losing um, our natural predisposition to be the way we're inclined to be in, in, in our personalities. So, um, you know, the challenge of relationships, one of the people come uh, and very often ask us, why do relationships have to be so difficult? And we 
try to remind them that what we're being challenged to do when we take on a committed a commitment to another person is we're challenged to hold two seemingly contradictory responsibilities simultaneously without without neglecting either one of them. One is a commitment to this relationship, to make this person in this relationship a very high priority in our lives and to focus on nurturing and supporting that. And the other one is to do the same thing with ourselves, to not neglect ourselves in the process, to do the things that we need to do to thrive, to take care of ourselves without compromising the relationship, to take care of the relationship without compromising our own integrity. That's the challenge. And for our listeners who might be on the fast track of evolution and finding themselves in a bit of a challenging relationship, or maybe they're out of a relationship and looking back at their their past intimate relationships and saying, okay, whoa, what's going on here? Um, how are you guys helping people? And can we maybe bring our listeners to your website and let them know of the products that you have and the workshops that you are doing and how you are teaching people some of these skills? Well, we have a um, Bloomwork is our website, and there's all kinds of free stuff on the website. So they can see videos of us. There's a link. Yeah, B-L-O-O-M-W-O-R-K dot com. So they can get there. But if they remember Linda Bloom, if they remember Bloomwork, if they remember Charlie Bloom, it'll take them to the website. And there's links to... um, almost 400 blogs that are out there in the blogosphere. We are doing Facebook Live every Thursday at 12.30 to 1 o'clock Pacific time. If people can't tune in at 12.30 Pacific time, they're all archived. So there's a lot of um, free things that people can uh, get some booster shots of inspiration for their relationship by the topics that interest them and the workshops and we come to the east coast every january we're at kripalu up in the berkshire mountains in massachusetts and we often teach right here in our area in the san francisco bay area at 1440 Multiversity, the brand new beautiful personal growth center that's only been going for one year that's in Scotts Valley. And we teach at Esalen Institute in Big Sur, right on the banks of the Pacific. If people sign up for our newsletter and send us their email address, they get a free ebook that's called Going for the Gold. And that's about creating exemplary relationships. We also, um, Skype and do phone counseling so people can be from anywhere. And all four of our books are on our website with links to buy them on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Great. Well, thank you both so much, uh, you know, for, for the books, for the teachings, all that you were doing. And also really, I would say, just kind of being that bit of hope for younger generations and maybe even in your generation too, of being a relationship that can show that, you know, if you work through it, that it can, it can last, it can stay together. Um, but it takes a lot of work and that's for sure. That's one of the things that came across in your book is that this was not an easy path. This wasn't an easy path at all. You know, I mean, you guys just worked, 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 and it sounds like probably continue to work, um, and staying a couple steps ahead. Right, Charlie? (laughs) Of everybody. 
one addendum that all that you're saying is true and the work gets easier over time. In fact, it stops feeling like work and uh, and just starts feeling like it's just Play. what you do, what yeah. you do to take care of things, like you do things to take care of your teeth and your car and your relationship. <laughs> it's just what you do. Uh-huh. Right, because I would imagine it just eventually integrates into your being, right? Absolutely. So it's, That's right. right. You embody it. You embody the teachings. And all that hard work that it takes to negotiate for your needs, to learn how to do conflict management well, to grow the signature strengths so that you're eligible for a great partnership. Man, is it worth it? The bonanza of benefits in terms of the peace of mind and, you know, feeling like somebody has your back and to to really um, grow and not just be grow old. Do you become a wise elder? This is really worth it. Well, wonderful. And again, our to our listeners, their website is bloomwork.com. That's B-L-O-O-M-W-O-R-K.com. Um, you could check out some of their other books. We were really only focusing on the one today. Um, and I would highly recommend uh, heading over to their website. And I'm interested to check out your Facebook Live when you guys are up there. So I will be sure to personally like your page and just really want to thank you again. This was a great conversation. Thank you both. Uh- I've enjoyed it too, April. Thank you for having us. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com, to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time. Thank you.